Hello, welcome to the Arts and Learning Conservatory monthly masterclass series, where we invite industry professionals to share their knowledge and make artistic learning more accessible. If you'd like to learn more or sign up to join our next masterclass live, please visit us at artsandlearning.org. My name is Rachel and I thought I'd give just like a little bit of background um, on like kind of who I am. Um, and you may have seen it on the on the flyer, but um, I'm a singer and a songwriter. I graduated from Chapman University um, with a music degree. And um, after that, I kind of went to L.A. and worked with different um people that specialize in different fields. I worked with a woman named Judy Stakey, which if you look up, if you're interested in songwriting, kind of a different path, but um, she was a publisher at Warner Chapel for many years. And now she does like um, workshops and stuff. So I, I interned with her um, and then I kind of worked with a bunch of stuff, people out there and um, I teach private lessons. And then um, also I do singing, some singing for film and television, which was uh, listed on the flyer, but um, a few of the things were Glee, um, the middle, and the most recent thing that I did was on Stumptown, um, it was on ABC, and um, it was like a fight scene between um, two, like the main character and uh, this kind of like the villain, and they did like a full-on combat scene, and um, my voice underscored it, singing um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun from Cindy Lauper. So that's just kind of a little like brief Cliff Notes background thing. Um, so it's, this semester class is kind of focused on vocal health and, um, a few people ask questions about volume and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'll, I'll try to kind of address that and also like just keeping up good habits, how to protect your voice, um, and how to be singing for a long time. Um, and not, you know, it kind of, we've heard some, oh, if you don't, um, if, if you don't use it, you use it sort of thing. So, okay. So we'll just jump in. So, um, why is vocal health important? Well, your voice is part of your body. Um, every, you know, every other instrument, I would say, exists outside of you, um, whereas your voice exists within you. So, I mean, it's just so crucial um, to the longevity of your voice to take care of, to take care of your instrument. Um, Tammy had mentioned some younger kids that are in here. And even, I mean, really regardless of age, it's, it's important. Um, I always use the example of, you know, if you purchase, purchase a $10,000 viola um, and you put, you would never just leave it in your hot car, right. To, and, Cause it would get all warped and it would get, you would take such good care of it. Right. And you would, you'd be like, okay, how do I protect it? How do, because you spent a lot of money, a, a ton of money on it. Right. And even if it got destroyed, you could replace it. Like it would be very expensive. You'd have to save, but you could replace it. Your voice is so much more valuable because you can't get a new one. You know, you only have the one. So it's just very important to be aware of um, vocal health. So um, I always kind of use that example. Um, so, and, and a really good example of somebody um, who I noticed who, who did this really well was actually um, a worship leader at Saddleback Church. I grew up singing there. Um, and for many years, they had You're muted. Unmute. Can you hear me now? Okay, perfect. Um, so he probably did like eight 
between five and eight services a weekend, multiple songs plus rehearsals. So he's using his voice a lot, or he was at that time. Um, and his voice sounded like smooth. And if you, and like, you know, 25, 30 year old voice, even as he got older and into his fifties, he was able to maintain really, really good vocal health. So he was somebody that took care of his voice. And I use this example in my private lessons when I'm kind of talking about doing vocal exercises and the importance of that, um, good vocal warmups, um, because I was friends with his daughter or some, some of his kids kind of growing up. And I do remember one time at his house, we were kind of all in the, in the bottom area, you know, hanging out and upstairs, you could hear the shower on and you could hear Rick Machow doing his vocal exercises, you know, no, 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 all those kinds of things. So, um, Mercedes, um, kind of mentioned, you know, what are some things I can do to get back into singing? Um, vocal exercises are like a huge part of that. So, um, okay. So the next thing I had on here is just basic singing technique. So technique is a really important part of, um, having good vocal health. Um, that's definitely one element of it. So I start out all my lessons with posture and breathing. And for those of you who have maybe taken lessons before, it might be a bit of a review, but, um, you know, in posture wise, you want to kind of be sitting up nice and tall, right? And then um, you want to have uh, area for room for your um, diaphragmatic breaths or belly breaths, which is how we breathe and we sing. Um, so, you know, there's many things that are beneficial when it comes to posture, um, but basically you don't want, and I'll kind of stand up to this, but you don't want your hips like protruding in either direction. You don't want your shoulders all up tight. You want everything to kind of be nice and relaxed. You want your chin to be tucked under, slightly tucked under and your eyes at eye level. And, um, this is kind of an interesting thing because people have this notion that, you know, when I go to hit the high notes, I should be reaching my chin up and this is going to help me get them. But that's actually, you know, not the case. You want to keep your chin tucked under eyes at eye level and then use your breath and vocal registers, different vocal registers to reach the high notes. So, um, so that's kind of posture breathing. Um, I'll just touch on very briefly, um, for those who maybe don't know, um, but in singing, we use what's called belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, um, rather than chest breathing. So if you take in a deep breath, you can kind of see my, my shoulders and everything going up and down. Um, and that is a more shallow breath and doesn't really give you uh, the level of air and the level of support that you need um, for healthy singing and also for volume. Um, if you kind of have trouble projecting your voice, um, getting these good diaphragmatic breaths or belly breaths is really important. Um, so oftentimes if you're around singing a lot or you're kind of, um, you know, in a play or something, or you might hear people say, oh, you should, you need to sing from your diaphragm. And this is what they're talking about. You need to get good diaphragmatic breaths or belly breaths um, and use the support of that breath and the surrounding muscles um, to have, you know, a clear and healthy sound. So um, what that kind of looks like, I can kind of like stand up, you can kind of see. Um, so you can see if I breathe in, my belly expands, my back also kind of expands like that. And um, that's the kind of breathing uh, that you're, that you're wanting to do when you're um, 
when you're singing. Um, and there's a few different ways that you can kind of train yourself to breathe this way. Um, one way is you can, this is what I have my students do a lot of times. You put your hands here on your tummy and then you actually bend over and look at the ground, almost like you're peeking over the edge of like the Grand Canyon or something. Although you probably don't want to do that because then you would probably go over. But um, but anyway, you relax your muscles and then you can kind of feel your stomach fall out. That's kind of one way to trick yourself into doing that. Um, you can also do it sitting down on a chair, same thing. Um, and you can do it laying down. Um, a lot of times like... Uh, Singing teachers will have you lay down and just feel that rise and fall of your stomach. That is that kind of belly breath that we're talking about. So those are kind of a few different ways that you can start experimenting with that. It's really the most important thing when it comes to, um, at least in my lessons, I really focus on breathing. Um, we talk about it all the time and using the breath, connecting to the breath um, is just a really important thing. So um, let me think. Oh, so one little exercise just to kind of throw out an exercise for you guys would be um, to breathe in on the count of eight. So you'd go, you know, and I can't really like breathe in, speak at the same time, but you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and you should feel your belly expand. And if you're, if it gets full, just hold it there. Um, and then on an exhale, you exhale on a hiss. So if you want to try it, you're muted so you can try it, but like that. So you exhale on it and you can do that in on eight, out on eight, in on eight, out on 10, um, in on eight, out for as long as you can go. That, that kind of prolongs your breath. So we had a question about, you know, how to best use, utilize your breath so that you don't run out of volume or you don't like peter out at the end of a phrase. Um, a lot of times we can maybe have the belly breathing down and we're like, oh yeah, I breathe from my diaphragm. That's great. But then we let out too much air at once. So if you're singing like a phrase, you know, do you ever feel, and it's like, okay, now my breath's all gone. So versus do you ever feel like a plastic bag, you know, where it's like more moderated. So this type of exercise can help with that because you're, you're by doing that um, hissing sounds, you're preventing all your air from just kind of coming out. So, and you can kind of feel like almost like a little tug in your breath. Um, and the key is it's like the mind body connection type of thing to really focus on that when you're doing it, because a lot of improving in singing, at least what I found is being very aware of kind of like what's happening in your body and then being like, oh, that worked. I felt that. Can I recreate it? Can I do it again? And can I apply it? You know, I, oh, I, I really felt my breath in this exercise. Can I now do it in a song? So, um, so that's a really good one for like prolonging your breath, like getting your breath through a long phrase um, and also utilizing your breath to have, you know, a presence to your voice um, and not kind of peter out quickly. So let's see. I, I like wrote down a ton of stuff and we'll just kind of see, you know, what we want to focus on. Um, and then at, I was thinking at the end, maybe doing uh, questions. Um, so, okay. We'll talk about vocal registers next. So um, 
have you guys ever heard of kind of different vocal registers before? I can only see like three people, but if you want to kind of say like, yes, I've heard about vocal registers or no, I haven't. <laughs> Does, what about yes, yes, and no. Okay. So, um, you know, just like I kind of compare sometimes like the study of voice and everything um, to like nutrition and stuff. Like there's a lot of different, it's a science because it's part of your body. So there's differing opinions. There's different, different experts. There's different levels of expertise in it. Um, I would say probably the highest expertise it would be um, an ENT that focuses specific, specifically on the voice. Um, one that I think of off the top of my head that a lot of people in LA like go to and know about is Dr. Gupta. Um, and you can look on her website and she has a ton of information about vocal health on there. So, um, but that's why, and then, you know, but people have all sorts of different opinions and it's kind of, it, it does change over time, just like any science does. Um, so anyway, there are, there are people who are like, your voice should all just be one register and blah, blah, blah. But there is, there is, um, some proof that, that your voice functions a little bit differently in different registers. So I'll just go through the main ones that, um, that we talk about the most. So there's vocal fry, uh, that's kind of this, uh, where the Kardashians talk, <laughs> that's the vocal fry. So there's, um, vocal fry. Then there's your, I think it's called the modal voice, but it's your chest voice. And that's your speaking voice. That's the voice that you use the most. So if you put your hand on your chest, you can try it out and say, you know, hi, my name is Rachel. You can usually feel sympathetic vibrations in your chest. That's kind of how it got coined the chest voice. Um, and then you have your head voice, which is up there. Hello. Um, and the head voice um, can be separated out, you know, into falsetto or whistle tone, but usually people call chest and head voice. And then you have notes where these two voices, these two registers sort of overlap, and that would be your mixed voice or your middle voice. And um, the mix and middle voice is getting those two, your chest and head voice to work together. Um, so um, when it comes to vocal health, vocal balance, and also volume and all this other stuff, um, vocal balance is super, super important. So most people speak in their chest voice. There's, there's like a few outliers who, you know, I've met that use their head voice, but most people speak in their chest voice. So just like I kind of, I always use the analogy um, of if you had your arm in a cast for a year um, and then you got it out, the muscles would be kind of atrophied, right? You wouldn't be, you'd, it'd be weaker because you haven't been using it. And it's kind of the same thing with your head voice. Most people don't use their head voice. They don't speak in it. So it's just weaker. Like, and the muscles that, that kind of function with it are weaker. Yes. Oh, you're muted. I don't know. <laughs> I got a question uh, more regarding my daughter than myself, because she is six and she still modulates between her head voice and her chest voice when she speaks uh -huh. so she spends hours speaking in her head voice but yeah. then also depending on the occasion she goes uh, switches over into her chest voice how can I uh, support her to keep that up because that will help her later with singing yeah and voice modulation Yeah. So that's great. I think, you know, if, um, if your daughter's speaking more in her head voice, I think, I think everyone kind of has a natural way that they speak, you know, and that's, 
And that's good. I wouldn't necessarily say like you need to change it. I mean, I think it's, if you naturally speak more in your chest voice, it's good to kind of, you know, experiment with raising that up a bit. And she's only six. So you'll kind of see the changes and you could always say, you know, if you notice that her, I I don't think that speaking in your chest voice is necessarily a bad thing. If you, I think you misunderstood me. Okay. Because I actually appreciate the fact that she modulates between the two voices because it trains both of her quote-unquote registers and it will help her later with singing. So uh, some people, they tell you uh, when you have trouble, you know, uh, projecting in a speech, they tell you speak as if you sing. But uh, to her, I would love to tell her sing as if you speak because when you're speaking you're already singing because she goes like up and down and modulates uh from very deep to very up high with so it's just wonderful to listen so i want her to keep it up yeah i'm trying you're telling me yeah don't tell her to stop it but what i'm thinking about is how do i uh support her keeping it up Yeah, I mean, I would just encourage her to keep doing that. And then also, you know, you can do exercises with, you know, like uh, vocal sirens and stuff like that, um, that kind of go back and forth between the registers and play with your voice. But if she's doing that naturally, then I would just encourage it. I mean, that's really, and you how know, do you encourage it? <laughs> it's more of a pedagogic question. <laughs> right. I mean, you'd have to be, you'd have to like work with you know you're you're with her I would assume pretty often so I would just like you know if you start noticing like a heaviness to her voice or a changing you know you can kind of encourage her you know I would play around honestly with it and that's kind of what I say um just in general is like kind of exactly what you're saying that you know people I think a lot of times have the mentality of like oh, I'm going to sing now. And this is my singing voice. And it's like, your voice is your voice, whether you're speaking or singing or, you know, doing anything else. So I think kind of encouraging that mentality by just talking about it and um, using, you know, exercises like sirens, because sirens do that pretty much. If you, I mean, that's one exercise that I like encourage a lot is to go from the bottom of your range to the top, back to the bottom on a siren and kind of feel how you're going through, but also like her, you know, your voice doesn't really mature until you're 20. So like, and it changes a lot, like in the, just like when everything else is changing, like in the, you know, depending on who you are, like 10 to 15, 17 year old range. So you know, your voice is going to go through just natural changes. And like I said, you can, you know, if, if that answer is not, um, doesn't address what you're saying, I'm, I'm doing my best to answer it. But if that, you know, doesn't address, you can always look on Dr. Gupta's re- like website and see if you can find more information that would suit that. So I'm going to move on. Um, but thank you for your question. So, um, <clears throat> okay. So there, let's talk about the next kind of thing I have on here is um, vocal anatomy and kind of the different sets of muscles that control um, different parts of the voice. And that might, you know, also be um, something that interests you. Let's see. Oh, uh, never mind. I just saw something in the chat and I was looking at it. So, okay. So there's like, 
<clears throat> um, and if you wouldn't mind just muting your mic again, because I can hear, um, I can hear myself <laughs> like, yeah, thank you. Um, okay. So there's like two major, um, sets of muscles that we talk about when we talk about the head and chest waist. And maybe this information will kind of enlighten what you're talking about with your question with your daughter, but, um, but you have the CT muscles, which are the cricothyroid muscles, which control um, primarily the head voice, and they sit kind of on top of the voice. And then you have the TA muscles of the terothyroid, terothyroid, uh, I can almost like tyrothyroid, I can't really say, but those muscles which control primarily your chest voice. And um, these, and getting a great mixed voice, which is what a lot of people have a question about, um, getting a great mixed voice kind of has to do with getting those two um muscles to cooperate with each other and communicate with each other. And just like anything else, doing exercises and kind of playing with your voice um, can help um, can help with that communication. Um, so the CT muscles, um, they're your head voice muscles. They tend to be weaker if you're not using it, but like if your daughter's using it, that's great. And you should encourage her to, to continue that, you know? Um, and then um, they lengthen the cords and um, these muscles actually sit on the bottom. I might've flipped that, but yeah, they sit on the bottom of your voice, even though they're controlling the head voice, which is the higher notes. Um, so the terothyroid muscles or the TA muscles, which I'm, I think I'm saying that wrong, but the TA muscles um, are part of your chest voice and they actually like fatten the cords and tend to be stronger because usually people are using them more often. Um, and then a mix is getting them to work together. Um, another thing to remember when it comes to vocal health is that, you know, your voice in general is like pretty delicate. So it's, you know, about the size of like your thumbnail is about the size of your vocal, um, your vocal cords and they're, they're soft and, you know, kind of, uh, tender. So you want to be just like careful, you know, with your voice, just given everything's happening. I heard it described as like um, numerous, like micro functions happening within the space of a quarter. So when you think about that, it's like, whoa, you know, that's pretty crazy. So, um, okay. So then you have what's called your false vocal cords, which if you kind of just Google like vocal box and look at the anatomy of it, you can see, um, and especially if you say they have like a more scientific name, but if you Google, you know, um, vocal box, false vocal cords, there are some diagrams that will show it, but it's like this, a little bit of, um, like muscle tissue or, you know, whatever it is surround on the outside of your vocal cords. You have your true vocal cords or your true vocal folds, and then you have, um, this stuff around it. So a lot of times when people are having vocal issues or they're like pushing too hard, it will be because they're trying to use their false vocal cords and they're using extrinsic muscles that shouldn't be involved with your singing rather than the combination of your breath flow and um, these other two CT and TA muscles that I'm talked talked about. So um, okay, so that's that's that. Um, just to kind of give you a little overview, you have like articulators and um, resonators. So your articulators are going to be your jaw, tongue, um, lips, and your soft palate. For those of you who don't know what a soft palate is, go ahead and feel with your tongue along the roof of your mouth. You should feel your hard palate, and that's it. But if you kind of keep going backwards, you'll get to the squishy part, and that's your soft palate. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so those are your articulators. Um, I have in here, which I'll say generally, you know, your tongue can get sort of in the way, I guess, of your singing. So when you do an ah, like if you all, if you drop your jaw to an ah, um, you want the tip of your tongue usually to be by your bottom teeth and uh, to be relaxed. Um, okay. So then you also have resonators, which, and your resonators kind of where you feel the sound is, um, nasal mouth, throat, and chest. Okay. So, um, so if you do end up taking vocal lessons or with, yeah, if you do end up taking vocal lessons or, you know, you go to like a, a group vocal class or musical theater or whatever, um, each, each um, exercise that your vocal coach gives you kind of has a specific vocal goal. Um, and so one of these exercises, one exercise that is really good that I really um, encourage people to do is called a trill, which if you've taken vocal lessons before, you probably like have experienced a little bit of that. So like um, that would be that's a trail or is this kind of helps uh, get the lips going yes um, but you can also do it without it right um, and you can do that on a scale or arpeggio I flipped those the first one was the arpeggio the second one was the scale but um and then you can also just do it kind of kind of like what um Katharina was saying where you know her daughter has the right idea, just playing around with your voice going, not even necessarily on a pitch, just kind of getting your voice moving and flexible um, is really good thing. So um, the great thing about a trill is it's putting your voice in a perfect balance of breath support and muscle engagement. And it's kind of forcing you into that balance. Um, and so it's training you, it's training your voice to kind of function in a very specific way. Um, I actually haven't looked this up, not, not that, but this next thing I'm going to say, but there's some sort of trend with a straw or like singing through a straw. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but, um, basically one of the people that I work with kind of said that a trill does the same thing as this straw technique that people are talking about, where it's getting, getting your, um, your voice to function in this way. So um, when you're doing vocal exercises, um, humming, starting with um, starting smaller is usually better to get your chords warmed up. So like a trill, a hum, um, and then slowly ah is where you're kind of most exposed as a singer. Um, okay, so let me see. One other thing about technique and how this is more of like a mentality thing. And this word picture was told to me and I was like, oh, that's just like so perfect for this. But um, it's, you know, if you feel like when you're singing, you're like grabbing onto a tree trunk, like I've got this, I'm not going to crack and I'm, I'm totally in control. You're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> you're probably using extrinsic muscles and you're all tight, right? If you feel like you're walking on a tightrope and like you're kind of in a state of perfect balance, um, 
then you're probably doing it correctly. And it's kind of this weird thing because mentally you want to feel like, and the thing about walking on tightrope, if you think about it, you know, if you're an acrobat and you're doing it all the time, you're confident, right? Because you know what you're, what, what you're doing. It takes time and skill set to kind of get there, but, um, but we want to prevent or try, try not to have a lot of tension and tightness um, around our voice. So, um, okay. So what are things that can affect our sound? The shape of the vowel can actually, the shape of your vowel can actually, um, determine what, uh, set of muscles is more engaged. So longer vowels and more open vowels, um, tend to engage more of your head voice, whereas shorter and wider tend to engage more of your chest voice. By lengthening the vowel, your soft palate, which we talked about earlier, lifts. Um, and by shortening it, um, it, it lowers. Um, so for classical singing, you use almost primarily your head voice ex- exclusively. Um, so you lengthen the vowels for that. And then for your chest voice, um, you are sorry, for classical singing, you use more of your head voice. And so you use longer vowels usually. Um, for pop, you usually are using more of your chest voice um, or going for more of that type of a sound. So your vowels are usually not going to be as long. And this also depends on where you are in your register. Um, so let's see. Oohs and E's are more head voice vowels. If you're singing um, in chest, you need to change the shape a little bit. Um, Okay, let me see. We'll do um, mouth shape changes, the way your muscles function. We talked about that. Classical is long and narrow. Pop is wide and short, we talked about that. Um, Okay, and so we'll do a little soft palate thing quickly. Um, And so if if you say the word up, and if you're muted, you can say it up. When you say the word up, your soft palate lifts. And if you say the word nuh-uh, it lowers. So that you can kind of feel the difference. Um, and you can also look in the mirror and you can kind of see it as well. Um, so good. Okay. So then um, the last thing here, when we talk about cracking and like the transition in your voice um, between registers, um, there are certain things that can kind of um, inhibit you from from, uh, getting the notes out clearly. And one of those things is unvoiced consonants. So this is where uh, voices commonly crack because the chords, your chords don't fully adduct or come together on these consonants. Um, so the solution for that is to change the consonant out with a consonant that, um, does help your chords adapt. Um, I've kind of noticed this isn't as crucial in notes that are easy for you, like your lower range, but if you happen to hit one of these on a high, like either like a belt or like kind of, you know, anywhere that's kind of on a border, it does help, um, does really help you get the notes, um, out if you switch these out. So, so the unvoiced consonants are C, F, H, K, P, Q, S, and T. 
And for C, you would replace it with a G. For F, you'd replace it with a V. For H, you would replace it with a small glottal. Um, you don't want to like do glottals all the time, but like if it's not bad for you, if it's not too hard. Um, and then a K, you would replace with a G. A P, you'd play, replace with a B. A Q with a G U, kind of a G U sound. Um, an S with a Z, and then a T with a D. So, um. Okay, so the last thing we'll talk about is vocal injuries and then also like vocal health tips and prevention of these things happening. If you go to the Dr. Gupta's website, she actually has a lot of information on like a bunch of different vocal injuries. If you're a hypochondriac, wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it can really kind of mess with you, but um, but it is like, you know, good information. So um Vocal injuries are most often caused by singing too much, too loud, or with poor technique. Um, I'm just going to talk about two vocal injuries today, the ones that are kind of more commonly talked about, but there are a bunch of them. Um, and to some degree, you know, you want to do everything you can to protect your voice. But to some degree, I kind of use the analogy of, you know, if you're an athlete, you're it, like somebody who's a football player or an athlete is way more likely to get injured than I am. Be, just by, by the fact that they're playing the game. And in some regard, when you're working on your voice, it's like working out or anything else, there's always going to be a level of risk that is attached to that because you're using it in this very kind of specific type of way. Um, that being said, it is important to do, you know, everything we can to have a healthy voice, you know, for a long time, you know, for our whole life. Um, so, so the two that I'll talk about is nodules and polyps. So nodules are almost like a, a callus that form on your voice. And they were, you, we saw a huge wave of them when the big belters were popular. So like Adina Menzel, Adele, like singing super loud and super hard and super kind of belty um, led to like a big wave of people getting nodules or nodes. And even in Pitch Perfect, I think they make jokes about, I have nodes or something and like kind of that kind of thing. So um, if you do get them, um, there's, there is chance that you can recover with vocal rest. I actually have a friend who he never really did proper vocal training, but he, um, was a worship leader. So he was using his voice all the time. He was also a youth pastor. So then he was also on top of that preaching. And then on top of that, he was, um, in a band on the side. So he was just using his voice way too much. And then also didn't really know a ton about technique. So he, um, he did get notes and he went on vocal rest, which is like no singing or whatever for eight months. Um, and they went away. Um, the other alternative to that is surgery. So what causes nodes is primarily singing, uh, too hard, um, or, or in too much, um, especially in like a certain range polyps, um, are, they're finding now are caused more by over breathy singing and they're seeing it a lot in young and young girls because especially because like Billie Eilish and that whole sound is super popular to sing super breathy um and it's almost like a little bubble that forms within your cord um and singing too breathy too often can cause that um I kind of recently learned that at a master class that I went to um and somebody asked the question actually you know well, will Billie Eilish get nodes? Does Billie, I mean, not nodes, polyps, does she have them? And his response, which I thought was a good one, was, um, you know, you really don't know. Sometimes people just 
there is a certain element of like, sometimes people can just felt really high. Some Sometimes people can just sing breathy and it doesn't affect them because we're all different. Our anatomy is all a little bit different. Um, also, you don't know, she could have really good vocal exercises that she's doing where she is adapting her chords and she's not always singing in that super breathy tone. Or we might find out later that she gets polyps. You don't know. So, um, but I think where the risk comes in is when people try to imitate that sound, um, then it can lead to a lot of those issues. And, and there's nothing wrong. Like uh, I use breathiness in my singing, but I, but I do try to do my vocal exercises and, and make sure that I'm singing, um, that I'm not doing that all the time, that it's, I'm doing it only on special occasions when I'm really trying to achieve like a certain type of sound. Um, okay. So we'll get to questions. Um, I just really quickly, some, uh, vocal tips, uh, vocal rest is extremely important. We talked about that. I don't recommend if you're sick pushing through it. I just don't, I, I know a lot of, a lot of like even music majors end up with these vocal injuries just because they're singing too much. And then they're just, when they're sick, they're just pushing through it. And that leads to, you know, vocal injuries. So listen to your body. If you, if, your voice needs to rest, then rest it. Um, if you're feeling continually like your voice is tired, rest it, try to rest it for three days where you kind of do minimal talking and you, you know, um, yeah. So, uh, drink, drinking water. Um, I won't go too much into this because of time, but there's also acid reflux, which is basically when a little bit of stomach acid comes back up and that can irritate your voice and kind of um, usually affect your high notes and other things. So you, if you think that you're having that, you can always experiment with cutting out acidic foods and seeing if that kind of changes. And if you Google acidic like foods, they'll come up with things like chocolate, um, tomatoes, anything citrusy, anything spicy, anything oily, um, caffeine, alcohol, um, those types of things. And then um, let's see, doing vocal exercises good one is a good one. Um, yeah, so in, in vocal rest is really like a huge, huge one. And just knowing when you are sick to say, know, you know, to, to, to be able to kind of protect your voice, not pushing too hard. A lot of times, as I know, a lot of times with like musical theater and stuff, like sometimes the theater directors don't always, aren't always as knowledgeable about the vocal health end of things. And they'll say, well, just sing louder. We'll just belt it louder. We'll just, you know, and there is a certain thing, you know, if you want to get the part, maybe you need to do that. I don't know, but you know, um, just to be aware of the risks and everything, um, just to be aware of it so that you're taking, if you are doing that, so you do want the part, so you do kind of push it, you know, that you're taking measures to, to rest your voice, recover. Um, and that just that you're aware of this. I, I wish I never really got super aware of vocal health, probably until, late into college and after college. And I was a music major. So, and I was, my, my music major was an emphasis in, um, voice. So, you know, I, I think it's great. The, the younger you are became, like becoming aware of just to protect it as much as you can and do research on it and all these other things. Um, now with online, you can find so much information. Um, so yeah. 
Um, so I will, uh, oh, somebody talked, asked about the Santa Ana or not Santa Ana wins, the, um, smoky. So yeah, the smoky stuff definitely doesn't help. Um, I would definitely drink a lot of water, try not to breathe it in if you can avoid it. Um, and one thing that I do is I, um, and that is like, was recommended to me by an ENT is, um, I got a cold air humidifier. So um, getting a cold air humidifier and I put it on at night, um, that helps me, or you could also put it on during the day, but uh, cold air humidifier is really good. Okay, so I will take questions now. I know Tammy said that she was gonna maybe um, help with that part of it, if anybody has them. Yeah, I would say if you have a question, let's type it into the chat so we don't have people talking over each other and then we can just address them one at a time. If you okay. want to take a, check, a second to type your questions into the chat. And then while people are typing, I have a question. Yeah. Um, as a theater director, I've heard a lot of crazy things from a lot of young singers uh-huh. about things that they do before a show. And I've heard one person say that they always eat a cheeseburger before a show because it lubricates their vocal cords. Uh I've heard people avoid dairy and chocolate and stuff like that. I've heard um, like honey and lemon in water. I've heard a lot of different things. What are your big recommendations before like a three day weekend performance? Yeah. So, um, I would say if you are, so I would definitely drink water, but again, you don't want to, you're, you're kind of already in a a routine of your life and you don't want to just drink, you know, say you on average drink four glasses of water a day. You don't want to suddenly just like be drinking like gallons of water, (laughs) but like, you know, be aware that you're hydrated. Um, as far as foods, I personally would recommend I think most people have a little bit of acid reflux issues. To me, I would not eat a cheeseburger because I know that that would make my acid reflux just go crazy. But if it works for you, it works for you. Um, personally, I would I would avoid super overly acidic foods. So whether that's like, I would not have like pizza right before. I would have like kind of things that are, um, like I said, not acidic, healthy Um yeah, eating healthy, um, doing your vocal exercises, you know, before, um, so that you're warmed up, which is super, that's super important. Um, and this is one that's a little bit more on the nerves end of things or on the like performance things, but you can even tell, like, this is my first time I should have said that again. This is my first time doing like a zoom kind of class. So, you know, you're naturally a little bit nervous and you can even see, Oh, okay. All my energy's up here and it's super like, ah, you know, and so that, if you can do like some light exercise before you don't want to like overdo it, but going on a walk or doing yoga a lot, most I've taken some acting classes just because as part of being doing singing for film television, that's part of SAG. So SAG will sometimes offer like uh, free classes or whatever. So I've taken a few and almost all of them have said for auditions for actors to do yoga before because it grounds you. It gets some of that nervous energy out, kind of calms you down. So I would say, do I exercise? Maybe avoid, oh, as far as dairy stuff. So like, and I didn't say this, so I'm glad you brought up. Caffeine dries out your vocal cord, vocal, not your, like these sacs that keep your voice lubricated. Caffeine dries you out. So do antihistamines. Um, And so, you know, in general, most ENTs will say don't take you know, antihistamines, if you can avoid it instead use like Flonase or something like that. Um, 
So, yeah, so that the caffeine and, um, and antihistamines dry you out on the opposite side. Um, dairy can make you more mucusy. And so that's why people kind of avoid it. Um, I would say, I mean, I have a cup of coffee with milk every morning and if, whether or not I have something going on, because if I suddenly just cut that out, I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't be as energetic or whatever. Um, so I don't necessarily change that, but I'm not going to have, you know, uh, a cheesy slice of pizza right before a session because that would just mess me up. So those are my um, things, but you know, if eating a cheeseburger makes you sound your best, more power to you. <laughs> That's um, okay. I see somebody asked in here. Um, why is a cold, hot, humid air humidifier better than diffuser that evaporates the water? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by a diffuser that evaporates the water. I was more saying a cold air humidifier as opposed to a warm air humidifier. And I actually don't remember why that is, but I do know that like an ENT told me that several and it's in other people who have. So the source that I got it from would know why it might, you might even be able to find it on, um, like I said, one ENT, the one that I think has like really good information on her website was the Dr. Rena Gupta, who I think has come to OSHA before. I think um, I've taught Tate before and um, Tammy's daughter and, and I think she came there, but there's other ENTs too. Um, but anyway, so they would have more of like the scientific reason as to why that is, but, um, but a cold air humidifier, I, I'm not sure what a, a diffuser that evaporates water. I don't, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Maybe that's the same thing. Um, but I was talking about cold air humidifier versus a hot or a warm air humidifier. Um, I don't know that it's too cold. Yeah, if you go to like, uh, oh, so I'll, I'll read this. I don't know if people can see it. So they said, I don't know the difference between cold and warm air humidifiers. I only know the ones that evaporate. So if you go to like CVS or any like kind of store like that, they'll have humidifiers there and it will say, on it if it's a cold air or a warm air humidifier. And I believe there's ones that are pretty inexpensive, like, you know, like in the 30 to $40 range, but maybe even less than that, kind of in that zone. But I, I've had the same one. I think I spent like $35 on it or something. Um, you usually said, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't, it's in the, mine is in the other room. So I'm not sure like what uh, brand it is. And like I said, I bought mine like a long time ago, so I don't really remember what it, um, what it looks like, but you know, it should, it should say something to that effect on there. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I have essential oil diffusers too. Um, actually my husband and I, just kind of got them. Um, and you know, they're relaxing. I'm, I'm not really sure the relation to the voice if that would like, if you just didn't put any oil in it and you know, you were just diffusing the, the water. I'm not sure if that's the same thing or not. So, yeah. I don't know if there's, is there anybody else? Any, did, what about, um, Mercedes, did you feel like you kind of got like some guidance as far as things you can do 
to kind of re-enter back into singing? Yes, thank you. This was so good. I, I really like this. Um, just re- It was just a good um, reminder to uh, play around with the exercises and um, my... Um, my son-in-law, he's always singing out loud and like walking around. Like when I talk to my daughter on the phone, I can hear him in the background doing trills. And, and I just think that that's all it is, is just get back into, you know, um, just playing and singing out loud and not having to worry so much about how if if I you know just yeah I think getting back into playing around with the exercises will help me to free up again totally um just kind of uh not worrying about it being perfect right away you know when when you like start it's an interesting I I um have worked with a, another music publisher who's really great and she does um she's on the songwriting end of things and she does like critiques and stuff but her name's Susan Susan Koch and she has like some YouTube stuff and stuff if you're interested in it but she she uses this when it comes this like analogy when it comes to songwriting but I think it, it's applicable to singing um she always says you know if there's a faucet that hasn't been used in a while you have to turn on the faucet and let the kind of dark goo out before you start seeing the clear water so she's always like you've got to just write the bad songs you just got to write them and even if you know they're bad just keep doing it and then eventually that that good stuff is going to come out and I think you know it's it's kind of comparable to singing where it's like you just need to get started in some regards and just you know work through, um, you know, not, you know, being totally comfortable right away. Um, I think it has to do with, um, just letting go and not feeling so, I I mean, I, I went from being in a really open space and feeling really free to being in a closed apartment and, you know, and that kind of, I think is most of what's, maybe holding me back from just feeling like, oh, everybody can hear me or, you know, oh, what, you know, <laughs> and I, I think I just have to not care. And I, I do better when I'm like walking out in the field and I'm like, oh, and I'm talking to myself and I'm singing out loud and it doesn't matter. And I own and everything and it's, everything's fine. But in, when I'm in these close places, I find, gee, I'm not, I'm not as expressive. I'm not singing at, I'm not playing with my voice like I, I want to. And I love the tip about yoga because I happen to teach yoga as well. So when you started the breath work, I was like, yes, and I totally get the whole belly breathing. That was just really good, good confirmation. Oh, good. Yeah, it it is. I say like, it's the same as yoga. And then also one of somebody recently said, um, that they actually are encouraged to breathe that way in therapy, which I thought was interesting. Like their therapist was kind of like teaching them to, to breathe that way. So there must be some other, you know, multiple other multiple benefits to breathing that way outside of singing, which is cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Um, is there any other questions or 
Is that everything? No other questions? Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording.